Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We've been here five years nearly. We're heard in over 60 countries around the world, and we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. A couple of weeks ago, we broadcast this show from Fairbanks in Alaska. The American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management organized for me to uh, make a presentation on change and the way for companies to utilize this change to over 300 very enthusiastic business people in Fairbanks. I spoke about how in the past 15 years we've gone about 1% of the technology revolution and how in a similar period of time we'll go to the next 99%. So we need to be prepared for an ever-escalating rapid period of change. This, of course, is evident to anyone and everyone who keeps up with technology or who even reads the business section of the paper. We, as we normally do, we give out event feedback forms to everybody in the audience and all of the responses were excellent. I'm not being smart. They're all excellent. And except for one. And this one is a perfect example of how just how stupid politicians are and how they don't have the faintest idea about what's going on. You wonder how Washington and state governments can be so far out of touch with what's happening and this is the perfect reason why. Doug Isaacson is a Republican member of the Alaska House of Representatives. He's been so for a number of years. He was also the former mayor of the North Pole in Alaska. Now, this is actually a place called the North Pole. It's about as big as a postage stamp and even less important. But nevertheless, it's a place on, in Alaska called the North Pole. And he was the mayor of the North Pole. So he obviously has amazing qualifications. And he's also obviously used to living in fairyland. On the event feedback form... The Republican member of the Alaska House of Representatives, Doug Isaacson, wrote, technology will not advance in the next 15 years. Hello? (laughs) Now, I thought Trump was the only real idiot in the Republican Party, but obviously I was wrong. Isaacson's also a member of the Stupid Is As Stupid Does Brigade. So I thought about this for a minute and I thought, hmm, Sarah Palin's from Alaska. I think there just might be something in the water. So um, Isaacson is right up there with Sarah Palin in the stupid stakes. Now this Shows all about providing you with the latest information that I think will be useful for entrepreneurs and giving you all sorts of tips that will assist you to be more successful. Now, over the past five years, we've spoken many times about the need for a great, well-thought-through business plan. We've discussed in great detail how to construct a plan, what needs to be in it, how to modify it to an investment plan, and so on. We've, we've done it many, many times. But here are six critical questions that your business plan must answer. Firstly, never underestimate the importance of your business plan. It's the backbone of your company. It's a foundational pillar from which your business plan will be built. Your whole business will be built on this plan. It's going to help you clearly identify your strengths and weaknesses. It'll help you refine your business model. It's really the first impression for countless potential partners and investors and maybe even for employees. 
and it's going to serve as a roadmap for your whole business, at least for the first few years until you have to pivot or alter it slightly or whatever. But a business plan is critical. In many ways, writing a business plan is easy. There's no rules, no requirements for length or format or presentation or even subject matter. But finding the right answers to the right questions is critical if you want to lay the groundwork for a stable business and attract attention from investors. So what are these questions? Well, the first question you need to answer is what need are you addressing in the marketplace? Now, this is a very important question because it extends way beyond the simple what does your business do? It's one thing to outline your business in general, describe, describing what products you plan to make or what services you plan to offer. But if you want a solid business plan, you have to take it to the next level. Now, it's nice to imagine that your business is actually providing something useful. And if you're really excited about the idea, it's that much easier to think about people buying it. But you need to be logical and also very critical when you consider the driving force behind your customers' purchasing decisions. What fundamental customer need is your business addressing? Now, you want to back this up with research that shows that the need actually exists. So now you're just pulling some mystery need out of your ass. That's not going to work you actually have to back it up that shows that the need actually exists. Now, with this rapid proliferation of new business, your second question's got to be, well, what makes us different? It's a big world out there and startups are constantly coming out of the woodwork and on and off the radar. Chances are there are multiple businesses out there who are already serving the crucial need that you're thinking about serving. So that doesn't mean you can't serve it better or serve it in a different way, but there's the challenge, figuring out what it is that makes you different. You need to very objectively acknowledge all major players in your space, and this is going to take some research and no fudging. Acknowledge what they're doing right. Explain what they're doing and assess what you believe they're doing wrong and how they're going about doing their business and how you're going to do your business differently and more effectively with better results. The third thing you need to address is your audience. Here's a hint. Your audience, I've seen so many business plan where they say, well, our audience is everybody. Well, no matter how useful or practical your product or service is, there's no way your product is suitable for everybody. Think about factors like age, sex, education, geographic location, working status, marital status, income and perform some preliminary market research to determine the best path forward. But your product certainly isn't for everybody. After all, Jesus isn't for everybody. He's only got one billion out of seven billion people. So be practical. Your key demographic may evolve over time, so don't stay too committed to one niche. Also remember that it's easy to expand into other markets once you've established yourself in one market. So if you have several key demographics, it's probably going to be wise to start things off in just one. The fourth question you need to ask is how is your business going to make money? Now this is obviously the $64 million question. It seems like an obvious question to answer. 
But you'd really be surprised just how many entrepreneurs have not got a clue how they're going to make a buck. Well, hell of a lot of people start off their business with no idea whatsoever on how they're going to monetize it. And don't just stand there and say, well, I'm going to sell products and services, obviously. But how are you going to sell them? How are you going to market them? Where are you going to sell them? How much are you going to sell them for? What's your client acquisition cost? How much profit are you making per, per unit? There are a lot of questions that you have to ask before you can determine how your business is going to make money. The other side of the question, of course, is what is it, what is it going to cost for you to make this money? Who do you have to engage? What service or partners do you need? How many staff do you need? What will it cost you? And ultimately, how many of your widget or service do you need to sell to earn more money than you're expending? When will you break even? How much is it going to cost you to get to breaking even? Then I guess the next question is, well, how are you going to promote this business of yours? Promoting your business is just as important as creating it. Otherwise, people are never going to know who you are. Your marketing strategy, you know, is going to be all over the place. So you should start off by analysing similar businesses. What do they do? How do they go about it? Do they rely on traditional advertising or online marketing? Are they at all the trade shows? Are they at local events? Do they use technology to spread the word about their existence? Are there better ways using new technology to get your message out there? How are you going to do it at the least possible cost? Another question you should ask yourself is what do you need exactly to get started? Now, bear in mind that most businesses, most new businesses, take at least twice as long and cost three times as much money as you anticipate. So keep that in mind. For many potential partners and investors, how much is it going to cost to get going is the essential bottom line. All businesses have to start somewhere, but that starting line varies dramatically from industry to industry and from entrepreneur to entrepreneur. What advanced equipment do you need? Who will you need to hire? How much will you need for an initial run? What level of funds will you require before you begin to generate funds in excess of the amount that it costs you to run your business? And most entrepreneurs are dreadful at doing those sums. But it's these questions that will give you an idea exactly how much capital and what resources you will need initially. It may seem counterintuitive, I guess, but answering these questions isn't a one-time process. Your business plan has got to be a living, breathing, changing document that evolves with time along with your company. Throughout the course of your entrepreneurship, you're going to encounter new challenges, new opportunities, and hundreds of factors you never considered to be significant to your business when you were writing the initial plan. Also, you've got to remember that when you launch your business, other people that consider they're in competition to you are going to probably change the way they do business so that they can compete with you or so that they can counter what you're proposing. So to survive, you're going to have to revise your answers to these questions and update your business plan constantly according to what happens in the marketplace. Now, if you're not yet a member of the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management, which is the premier organization for business in the U.S., and if you're really serious about improving your skill level, your status and your network, and you're serious about being successful, you really should join 
today. Not tomorrow, today. Apart from being able to put the initials AISMM after your name, which is really beneficial. I've been a member for 12 years and it's been phenomenal for me. There's a wealth of the latest information, complete business audits, webinars, and an advisory board like no other on the planet. Go to AISMM, that's AISMM.us, and join today. My interview today is really an interesting one. It's with um, Christian Rosanesh, who I have on the line from Germany. Christian has international experience as a telecommunications, media and internet startup consultant. His most successful venture is ClickWorker, which was launched in 2008 and is a bloody fantastic idea. It really links the world together and enables any project to get the best people in the world working on that project simultaneously, totally coordinated. It is brilliant. You know, most of us have a business. I'll exclude myself. Most people have a business where they work with just local people or people that are in their state or whatever, and that limits their talent pool. But ClickWorker is brilliant. It crowdsources micro-tasks to the best professionals in the world. Then you've got fantastic quality control that delivers them in less time and at a lower cost than corporations could do it on their own. And uh, with the rapid growth of the shared economy, ClickWorker is delivering the right product at the right time. So I thought it was important that you listen to what Christian has to say. He is on the phone from Germany, hanging on patiently. I'm Bob Pritchard on Voice America Business Channel, and I'll be back with Christian after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs and people that are involved in disciplines that can help us all be much more effective in business. People who think outside the box, who do things differently, who achieve results, they've got something to share with all of us that can help us become more successful in this very fast-paced technology era. So in these interviews, I try to find out what makes these successful people tick so that we can learn from their experience and from the things that have made them successful. I want to learn how we can overcome the challenges that confront every single business. It doesn't matter whether you're operating a dry cleaning business or whether you've got a new app or what it is. There are, we all face the same problems and we can all learn from the experiences of successful mentors and entrepreneurs, which brings me to a point that I've urged you for I'm in my fifth year with this radio program, and I've urged you all those, all that time to get yourself mentors. Surround yourself with good people who know what they're doing because it'll save you a hell of a lot of grief as you move forward in your business. 
Now, when Thomas Friedman wrote The World is Flat in 2007, he had our next guest, Christian Rosenich, in mind. Christian, from Vienna, Austria, studied in London and has international experience as a telecommunications, media and internet startup consultant. He was Vice President World Res, where he successfully implemented IT product strategies. And he's obviously smart because he has an MBA from London Business School, which is one of the top business schools in the world. Now, all of this experience laid the groundwork for his most successful venture, which is called ClickWorker. And this is was launched in 2008, and it really is the right product at the right time because um, it crowdsources micro-tasks, manages and quality controls them and delivers them in less time and at a lower cost than corporations are able to facilitate on their own. So what it does, it captures people from all over the world and puts them together to work on projects. It's it's really in a, at a time when we have a shared economy and, and we're seeing from a bunch of very successful companies how well sh the shared economy works. Clickworker really is the right product at the right time. I've got Christian on the line from Germany this morning where he's, um, he's lamenting the fact that they don't have much snow yet and he can't go skiing. But Christian... Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hello, Bob. Good morning. Thanks for having me in the program today. It's, it's a, a pleasure. pleasure. How, does, how does crowdsourcing work in your business? How do you find all these various experts in all sorts of fields in all sorts of countries across the world? Okay, so um, getting back to crowdsourcing, actually Jeff Howe, he invented the word crowdsourcing, and it's actually a combination of crowd and outsourcing. Yeah. Uh, but what we do differently is instead of um, putting that work to a call center or a, group, a close group of people, we advertise the work to the world, and uh, we find people all over the world to register on our platform and do the work for us. Okay, so if I wanted to, um, I think I'm a bit of an expert, so mm -hmm. if, if I thought that I had something to add to business um, globally, what would, how would I go about it? I'd go on to clickworker.com, right. I would just, would I just list all my qualifications and my experience, is that how it Correct. would work? Okay. Okay. So what would you do is you would sign up on ClickWorker on our platform and you would tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, about your, what you've studied, what you've learned, what your interests are. Yep. And based on that, we will assess you online through online qualification and see, uh, for example, do you really speak the language which you pretend to, uh, to be your mother language? Do you have writing skills? Do you have specific interests that could be, um, you know, of value for our clients and our projects? And you, at the end, you will receive sort of like a school mark uh, for the different qualifications, and you will be qualified as a click worker. Along with that, uh, we will check some of your personal information, like where do you live, uh, what is the telephone number, to actually make sure that you're really the person that you're pretending to, uh, to be. Right. So... A client comes along to you and says, mm -hmm. I am developing a Project X and I need all of these skill sets. Yep. And uh, then you would go through your database and determine which people are the most suitable for that particular project. Mm -hmm. And do you then recommend them to the company or do you um, engage them and... and how does that work? Since we are focusing on micro-tasking, yeah. uh, you know, we solve large amounts of very similar tasks for our clients. So, for example, if you're a client who needs uh, product descriptions for your fashion websites, right. you know, thousands of product descriptions in 10 languages, right. uh, you need many people to write these uh, product descriptions and to translate them into different languages. So rather than going out to our crowd of more than 700,000 workers and pick them one by one, 
we've automated this process. Sure. So based on the skill that uh, we sort of learned about you in, in, in the online assessment when you register as a, uh, as a click worker, we can automatically enable all the people who qualify to this project that have uh, a certain skill need. So, for example, people who have reading and writing skills in English or Chinese or German uh, and a certain work experience and a certain interest profession, for example. And then all these people who are qualified are uh, admitted to the project and can work at the same time. So that allows you to write the large number of product descriptions in very short time uh, and in a scalable way. Okay. So can you give us a couple of examples of, of um, what projects you've done, uh, just mm-hmm. f- sort of a variety so that we can see the sort of spectrum? Sure. Of course. So content creation, you know, anything that the e-commerce industry needs today, uh, as you know, content is king, is traditionally uh, there's a big demand for these kind of work. So everything from writing product uh, product descriptions, uh, buying guides, uh, translating content is something that the crowd can do well. But we can use, you know, the, the different social backgrounds and uh, different cultural backgrounds uh, also for other things, like, for example, in voice recordings. Right. Uh, if you want to optimize your speech recognition uh, service or program, you know, you need a large variety uh, of recorded voices and, and sentences. Right. So our crowd is actually able to provide that. So we're working, for example, for a car manufacturer who wants to optimize uh, his um, um, voice control systems in the car. Yeah. So we provide one million of these voice recordings uh, in different languages to them that they can use to not only get the different accents and the different languages, but also to understand how a typical customer would actually approach that kind of problem. How do I switch on the radio or how do I give commands to my car? So you can do actually a combination of improving your uh, services and algorithms, but also do some market research in the different markets. That's pretty important when it comes to giving directions to your car, isn't it? That it's (laughs) as accurate as possible. It better understands it correctly. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Another very good example is um, um, we work for uh, a search engine. Um, where, of course, you expect the results to be accurate um, and uh, relevant to your uh, uh, localization, to your country where you live, and to the environment where you are. But uh, most of the search results uh, are, you know, done by machines, and they need to be trained. So uh, this search engine provider uses our crowd to actually assess the quality of search results and help to improve the quality of, uh, of the big data algorithms. I think that's fantastic. I love it. Um, so w- w- when you've got so many different people from mm-hmm. m- maybe 20 different countries all working on the same project, um, how do you con- firstly, how do you control communication between those people and how do you control the quality of what you're getting? Mm-hmm. Um, communication, um, we're we a small company, you know, we, we're located in Germany, we're a team of a couple of people so we can not interact with any, uh, any of the 700,000 individually. But we have tools established which helps the crowd to communicate between each other. So we use, of course, social media uh, to spread the word about new projects. Uh, we have forums online. Uh, which allows click workers to, uh, you know, give advice and exchange ideas. And we also use that uh, to learn more, you know, what are the challenges and what are uh, the needs that a click worker might have by working at home. Um, and also, you know, our processes are very defined. We use best practice processes for the different um, uh, tasks that we deliver on our platform, which helps the click worker, you know, to get more guidance online and make the work as simple as possible uh, for him to achieve a good result. Yeah, okay. So it, it's hard for me to imagine if you've got 750,000 click workers, um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it's just mind-blowing to me for 
I mean, I, it's very difficult to assemble a group of 700 workers, far less 700,000. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you how do you assemble those people? And, and what's the what's the process by which you pick the right people? I mean, if if you examine um, t- ten mm-hmm. um, uh, ten CVs. You can have mm-hmm. ten CVs that look very, very, very similar, can't you? How do, how do you how do you actually drill down? Who does the evaluation of the of the um, of the people? Is that all automated? Uh, that is partly automated, but most of it actually the crowd does. So if you think about the example that I highlighted earlier, you know, writing a piece of text. You know, uh, right. if, if you know the person and you pick your writer, it's an easy piece because the, the writer writes the, uh, the text and then you read it and you tell him, you know, I like it or I don't like it and you, you find the spelling errors. Right. If you do that in large amounts in the crowds, it's a little bit more difficult because first of all, you don't know the writer, you don't want to pick the CD, so how do you assess the quality? And uh, what we've done is, um, you know, we developed our uh, technology platform that allows to route that information and that work through the system and through different click workers um, based on the process. So, for example, you would route a topic to one writer, you know, who will write content sure. in English, and then we check uh, spelling and grammar uh, automatically. We verify it, uh, whether it's a flag yet, which we can nicely do because most of the other content is on the internet, so we can find snippets if they are copied from somewhere. Sure. And then the result gets routed to another click worker, another person that does the assessment. And that click worker is usually either um, you know, has a higher trust level in our system because he's been working for right. us for a longer time or yep. he has a work history that proves that he knows how to assess content. Right. And he will actually mark and justify the work of the first one. And if it doesn't uh, live along with the, uh, up to the uh, instructions or to the briefing, it will be sent to the editor and he will only get the money if he corrects it and uh, provides a, a result that is acceptable. It's a great it's a great idea because I I um, we were talking before we went on air I've I've only got um, I think four clients um, and uh, they're spread all over the world and they're all businesses that do business globally and we are always running into the problem of different you know when you're doing a campaign or a promotion in any country you're always running into the issues of different cultures of different exactly. languages of different dialects of language, there are a million problems and uh, being able to use ClickWorker to find people that um, are, are um, where it's their first language or whatever makes a hell of a difference to the work you put out. Exactly. And, uh, you know, if you, uh, if you also look into other qualifications like a certain expertise in an industry or knowing companies in your area, for example, if you're looking for, uh, if you want to prepare yourself team for, uh, you know, going out to uh, finding new clients, you need more information about companies. And yes. uh, you can harvest the knowledge of the click workers to actually find that information on the web in no time. That is, that, that is one thing I hadn't thought of, but that's a, <clears throat> that's a great idea. That's terrific. So if I wanted to find out information about somebody I'm going to pitch or whatever, I've got a frog in my throat. Then um, I could uh, I could use ClickWorker to to find somebody who has better knowledge about that environment than than I can find out just by going to Google. Exactly. Um, so, what do all these people have in common apart from the fact that they want to earn an extra buck? What do all these seven hundred and fifty thousand people have in common, or don't they have anything in common? Apart from well, first of all, what they all have in common is they have uh, some spare time, you know, that they would like to to use to earn money or do something good, participate in pro bono projects, uh, and they all gather on our platform together, which helps us to distribute our projects globally. I think that's uh, a big difference compared to traditional companies. Uh, where it's you know much harder to create a global workplace, but the internet sure. actually provides the tools to do that. So that's what they have in common. They they want to earn money. They also want to build uh, 
relationships from what we can see from our community management uh, rather than working as a freelancer, uh, you know, left alone at home. They want to somehow be part of a community and interact with other people. These are the patterns that we see and they also take pride in their work. Uh, so uh, it's not only about the money that they get paid in order to do the work, but also to get some recognition uh, and build up, uh, you know, real relationships and uh, work relationships in the virtual world is very important to them. So most of the projects that come through ClickWorker, short term, medium term, long term? Um, we have all kinds actually. We have large corporations that work with us. We have small corporations who uh, work through our uh, self-service marketplace online. Um, and we have, uh, you know, some projects that are more marketing campaign oriented, so they have a definite start point and an end point. But we also have clients who are integrated through our API and continuously provide work for us. Um, that's why, you know, certain industries we like more as a client, uh, or maybe I shouldn't say we like them more, but they, they are closer to our model especially the e-commerce industry, because they typically have a high turnover of goods. You know, they always right. need to present something new, so they have a constant flow of work of products that need to be described or categorized or search results that need to be optimized. You know, it's a, a fast-changing environment. And uh, through the integration with the API, we have a continuous work stream. So um, I was just thinking about that, that the... What sort of um, industries do you do most work for? Um, we are focusing mostly uh, on the e-commerce industry and the retail industry. The e-commerce industry, as I said, because they have a high demand for content. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and the retail industry, because we have the crowd in the different countries, in the different locations. And that's valuable, for example, for assessing your marketing campaigns in the point of sales, for example, sending out people to the supermarket, taking a photo of the shelf and see if your product is positioned correctly. Or uh, doing market research, uh, for example, understanding what your clients need. So um, other than using traditional uh, consumer panels, you could use the crowd to ask them what they think about the product or what their needs are. Yeah, you get more diverse. You get more diverse opinions and more accurate results because you've got a, a bigger um, a database to call from, haven't you? Exactly. Yeah. So you've really got a very international background. Um, can you talk to me a bit about the differences that you find working in all these different countries in your previous um, experience? I, I've I've worked across the world, and I find that. that I've made, we've made some awful mistakes in in, in some countries <laughs> through language or the way you do something that just doesn't fit with their culture. Um, so right. how do you how do how do you find these differences between um, different countries, and how do you how do you adjust to them? Mm. Yeah, what, what I learned actually pretty quickly, because I had some of these uh, hiccups as well in in, in my first projects is. Uh, you know, in order to deliver a project successfully, you need to understand the local culture. Absolutely. And you need to understand how decisions are made and what, what certain habits and, uh, and processes are in, um, in the different countries. And that goes beyond language. You know, um, just the fact that uh, it, it's not very well accepted if, uh, if you don't spend time to go out for a lunch in China or in France, you know, and rather have a burger on the run, which is totally fine in the U.S. or right. uh, in most European countries, um, are minor things. But uh, you need to listen very carefully how, how people need to... Um, be um, engaged in the team and come to a decision. And that's actually one of the observations I made in the project, uh, especially that in different countries, decisions are made differently. When, for example, in Germany, you typically have a very functional-oriented approach where you have people with skills and they have their role and you have your process and at the end, somebody makes a decision and you have a result. Right. That typically doesn't work very well, for example, in the U.S. You need to sit down with people. You need to discuss it in a team so that everybody in the team sort of feels that he's part of the decision 
in order to, to gain some acceptance. Yeah. And again, in China, you know, you also have different variations. And I think understanding these, these cultural differences in how people need, uh, want to be engaged or uh, how people want to make decisions is very important for successful delivery. And that also helps us with our crowd because we understand, you know, the different cultures uh, need to be treated uh, differently. For example, when you do a survey, you know, some of the questions uh, might not be appropriate or might yeah. come across very odd. Uh, yeah, and you absolutely. Use the same marketing approaches in Germany. Yeah. Um, do you, is there any um, nationalities that you prefer to work with? No, I don't. Actually, I think the uh, the mix uh, the mix is, uh, um, makes uh, actually the best out of the project. I mean, there are some uh, some cultures uh, where I don't have as much experience, which is always a challenge. And if you're under time pressure, you know, and you need to learn and find the right approach, which makes it more differently, uh, more difficult. But uh, in general, you know, I enjoy the variety and uh, learning the new the new sites. It's like traveling and going on vacation. Uh, to learn all these different approaches. Okay, that, that, that was a pretty diplomatic answer. Um, is there <laughs> any, is, are there any nationalities that um, uh, work harder or are more effective or more efficient in producing um, materials? Um, You're going to say Germany, and I would agree with you, but who, who else? I Germany. mean, they make the best cars. Uh, if you, uh, if you, uh, you know, accept the uh, the last scandals that we had in Germany, but um, I, you know, well, there are different types of uh, of things that uh, that work better in some of the cultures. What I see, for example, if you if you're looking for a very sales, very marketing oriented. Uh, projects or skills, you know, that traditionally is something that works better in the in the UK or US because yeah. there's a lot more competition in the US in the same uh, 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 language and uh, they're very sales-oriented uh, and they're very competitive, which is maybe not so much the case in Germany or in Austria where I come from where relationship is often more important. Yeah, if you look into engineering, uh, you know, we, we have very good experiences with, with working in, uh, with developers in Eastern Europe. They, yes. they have a very good education in, in terms of their mathematical education at the university. Um, uh, you know, they, they understand very quickly. They're very creative in finding the right algorithm. And uh, for this kind of uh, task, it, it works really well. Yeah, in my experience... In that sense, you, you do have some kind of boxes that you put people into. That's yeah. correct. And then again, it comes down to where you're, um, what country you're working in because I've found that the um, sales techniques and the, sale, the, the, the um, high quality of US sales um, techniques... Doesn't work that well in most of Europe. They resist the. That's correct. They resist yeah. the US. Um, let's get it done, and let's get it done now, and mm. buy now, sign here quickly. Going back to cars for a minute, I've driven a German car now for about thirty mm -hmm. years. One of the, <laughs> one of the really well-known cars, and I've always felt that Mercedes um, and BMW are sort of the gold standard of cars, but I've got to say that the new Tesla um, uh, beats beats any of your cars, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> and you're actually quite right. I mean, that's, uh, um, that's actually quite frightening in what is currently happening. If you go to Sweden in Europe, uh, you will see a lot of Teslas. Yeah. Uh, and mainly because, you know, it's cold in Sweden and uh, they have uh, electric plugs everywhere to heat up their cars, which is yeah. great if you run an electric car. So Teslas are very popular. Yeah. In Germany, you know, the, um, they're quite expensive and German cars are cheaper. And, uh, of course, uh, the marketing is probably less established. You, you don't see them more, but it's a fantastic car. And if you think of how... Uh, these startups, I'm a quote, uh, actually transformed the whole industry. It's actually quite frightening. Yeah, well, because, uh, an electric car has much less compartments than a traditional car with a combustion engine. Mm. Uh, so there will be some thinking required in Germany to to actually see how we how we put against it. I, I interviewed a fellow. Uh, 
um, that's a specialist in electric vehicles last week on the show, and he was uh -huh. saying that um, he thinks 2017 in the US will be the tipping point where, um, you know, you have a majority of, of um, electric cars going out into the marketplace. Wow. In California, every second car is electric. It's amazing. But we Californians are very progressive. We're a bit like... Yes. Germans, apart from yeah. their cars, it took um, some time, but uh, <laughs> to get on the trend. But you definitely made it. That's for sure. Yeah. So how how um, how difficult is it to work across borders and languages? And and you must have a very sophisticated program to be able to work with uh, a large number of um, of different languages and be able to communicate effectively across those mm -hmm. languages. How long yeah, have you been actually, developing it? Yeah, actually, we uh, we thought about it for a long time, and you know, since uh, uh, we don't speak that many languages here, I mean, we cover uh, about 22 languages on the platform, which we don't speak ourselves. Right. Uh, you know, we had to be creative, and essentially, we use our own crowd to do the work for us. Right. So we have uh, a network of uh, associate slick workers, you know, that we've known for a long time and saw that they deliver good work. And they are uh, working as country agents for us. So they do the localization and the translation and the managing of campaigns in the different countries. And that right. allows us to, to actually grow and uh, distribute work into the, uh, into the different regions, which we couldn't do ourselves. Well, I've got to Just say... Knowing I... where people look for work in a country, you know, is something uh, where you need to be on, on site and on ground and understand, uh, you know, the habits locally. How do you work um, financially across across countries? Because um, if, for example, you know I'm a speaker, which mm -hmm. among other things that I do, and uh, I can get the fees that I get in the United States. But if I go, for example, even to Australia, forgetting mm -hmm. Africa and all the countries where their economies are poor, I can't get my fees in Australia because nobody in Australia would dream of paying those sort of numbers to a speaker. So how do you deal when, you know, in America, the average income's 60000 yeah. a year and in, you know, South Africa, it's $2.50? How do you, yeah, how do you I mean, the, the, I mean, we are a global marketplace, so there is yep. competition on a global scale. And, of course, there is work, uh, you know, going to uh, the market where, uh, you know, the pricing is appropriate. So, for example, if you don't need any, any local knowledge, any specific expertise, and you only need to speak English, that work could probably be done well in, in a low-wage country like India, for example, where you pay a fraction of the U.S. Yeah. In Europe, you know, that differentiation uh, isn't that much of an issue because cultural background and language or other expertise uh, is usually more important and uh, important also to achieve quality. Uh, but uh, what we see for our U.S. projects, of course, there is uh, a big trend like previously in the outsourcing to move to, to Asian countries to outsource. And that happens in our marketplace as well. What's Payment and social standards are actually a, uh, a, a you know a, a tough point. Fortunately, there is uh, companies like eBay or PayPal, for example, that allow us to pay globally. In Europe, uh, you know, there is a functioning banking system which allows us to transfer funds at uh, low cost. In the yeah. U.S., we use PayPal as well. Um, but the world is not perfect. I mean, there's room for improvement there and finding payment methods like mobile payments, for example, in Africa is definitely a challenge uh, sure. that we would face in going to these markets. So where does ClickWorker go in the future? Where, where are you in five years' time? That's actually a good question. Um, the, I mean, the crowdsourcing market itself, uh, if, if, if you take out uh, crowd financing out of the equation, you know, is a comparable small industry if you compare it with... Uh, uh, cloud, uh, the cloud industry, for example. Right. But what we saw is that actually the um, digitalization of uh, business models and the development and acceptance of the um, crowd, uh, sorry, of the cloud technology is actually a main driver for the crowdsourcing as well. Because if yep. you think about it historically, you know, there was outsourcing with high investments, expensive and long-term contracts. 
Then there was, uh, you know, software in the cloud, which uh, was not well accepted at the beginning, but it's kind of uh, uh, yep. standard today. Yes. And the next step is really to uh, sort of plug in the work and, uh, and the people into, into this cloud uh, technology and outsource some of the processes. And that is what we see as the main driver also for crowdsourcing as well, because going forward, you don't want to buy an accounting software. You want to have the accounting services in the cloud with yes. somebody doing it. And that applies to content creation, to moderation, and all these other things as well that could be done to, uh, through crowdsourcing. I agree. Christian Ros- Rosenich. Thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Now, if you'd like to know more about ClickWorker, which I think is a sensational idea, go to clickworker.com. That's clickworker.com. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on the Voice America Business Network, and I'll be back with our email segment of the show right after this short break. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs in the world, this week being broadcast from Los Angeles, which is one of the startup capitals of the world. Last week, I introduced you to a great new product called Porter Ice, and today I have another great new product, or really a series of products for you. One product which I've used and loved is called RX Timer Cap. And this is a pill bottle, just like you'd get at the pharmacy with your prescriptions in it, but it features a built-in LCD timer that automatically it resets itself every time the cap is opened. So when the cap's closed, like a stopwatch, it starts counting up the hours and the minutes since you last took your medication. So you know when you last took it and you obviously know what the intervals are and you know when to take it again. Activation's foolproof because there's no buttons to press. You don't have to do anything. Just click the lid closed and off it goes. Now, for somebody like me who can never remember whether I've taken my diabetic pills or not, you know, this could be a lifesaver. I mean, this is a really seriously important, very simple Invention. The timer cap works with their new iCap and iSorter, which are patent-pending, low-cost, connected medication cap and sorter. So this enables you to track when medications are actually taken, and real-time monitoring provides shared notification and escalating alerts so that when necessary, you can intervene in time and ultimately have the peace of mind that your loved ones are taking their medications on time. Brilliant. It's been demonstrated that more than half of us don't take our medications as directed, which then leads to increased illness, more doctor visits, hospitalizations, etc. But the iCap and the iSort are wireless products that connect your real-time actions with their mobile app to monitor, improve and award good medicine medication habits. Now, my friend Richard Burke and his team are doing a Kickstarter campaign in Q1216. So I'll give you a lot more, and I see um, Richard nearly every week, so I'll give you a lot more detail closer to the launch of that campaign. In the meanwhile, if you'd like to find out more information, go to timercap.com. This is a great practical could be life-saving um, invention that is low cost and a real problem solver. Now this shows all about entrepreneurs. So let's um let me tell you about Jen Scalia, who after unexpectedly losing a job, built a business that earned her nearly five hundred thousand dollars a year. She was working for a casino in Atlantic City doing social media and marketing, 
and she came into work after New Year's Eve in 2013 and found she'd been laid off. So she got laid off and pissed off all at the same time. Now, um, she decided that she was going to be the creator of her own life, do her own thing. She didn't have a clue what to do, but she knew she needed to do something and she wasn't going to let somebody else dictate if she'd have a job or money. Jen moved back in with her parents and took on freelancing jobs, helping small businesses with social media and marketing. But soon she realised she wasn't going to get anywhere with that. So in all of 2013, she only earned 35 grand. So like most entrepreneurs, she didn't know what to do to get a message out there to get people to a site or to actually get clients. She'd been taking smaller scale professional development courses and in mid-2014 decided to invest in B-School, which is an eight-week online course that teaches online marketing strategies and the program costs a couple of grand. For 18 months, she was invisible, so she hired her own coach and that's when things took off. Because she'd undergone multiple courses and training, this was ha- ha- very handy to launch, launch her own online business, and she became a business consultant and a visibility strategist. Now, she works with clients, specifically women who are starting online businesses, and they work on mindset and confidence, then they dive into strategy, you know, whatever it is that will get the message out there. Some people like to do videos and podcasts. And Jen helps them also understand their gifts and how they can best utilize them to make an impact. In her most popular product, one-on-one mentoring, she charges 10 grand and she also offers a mastermind group for entrepreneurs who are more established, been around a longer time, have a basic um, client base. And she offers courses, programs, and a subscription service for just 30 bucks a month. And she offers tips to 200-odd members who can't afford higher fees. In 2015, a business earned about 500,000 bucks. So she's got 200 people paying 30 bucks a month. Yeah, yeah that's not bad. Not bad, though. In 2016, she plans to raise her rates and focus on fewer clients. And as we've said here many times before, It's about changing your belief around what you think you deserve and what you're worth. It's amazing how quickly your life and your career can change if you're really passionate, believe in something. I think I mentioned to you that um, once upon a time my speaking fee was $750 and my manager said increase it to $1,500 and I was terrified I was going to lose all my business. So we increased it to $1,500, we got more work, so we increased it to $3,000, we got more work, we increased it to $6,000, we got more work, increased it to $12,000, we got more work and uh, we've increased it since then. And uh, it's amazing if you um, if you think you can do it, you can do it. Make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter and the radio show summary sent to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries. Subscribe by simply going to bobpritchard.com. If you're not yet a member of the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management and are serious about improving your skill level, your status and your network, you should join today. Before I close off the show, I'd like to thank the 80 or so people that contributed interviews and content to the show in 2015, Matt and my production and management team at Voice America and most of all our listeners throughout the world, I wish you all a very happy holiday, lots of health, lots of wealth, lots of happiness, a few drinks in between, get stuck into that ham and turkey and we will see you next week to bring in the new year. In the meanwhile, remember, if you're not really pushing the envelope, and are not really living on the edge, then you're just taking up far too much space. Get out of the way and let somebody who really wants to succeed go through because it's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard. Have a very fabulous Christmas or holiday period, depending on what you believe. And I look forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. 
Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.